Hello, and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Today, we once again return to the Biden tax plan to discuss candidate Biden's most recent proposal, what the campaign is calling a 10% offshoring surtax coupled with a 10% Made in America tax credit. To discuss this proposal, we are joined today by Catching Up on Capitol Hill regulars Jen Acuna and Tom Stout. We've had a few special guests in recent episodes, so it's nice to welcome both of you back for today's topic. Now, if you've been listening over the last few months, you know we've previously covered the other major tent poles of the Biden tax plan. On the corporate side of the ledger, that includes his proposal to increase the corporate tax rate, the proposal to increase the tax on foreign earnings, and the proposal to reinstate or reimagine a corporate alternative minimum tax. Now we turn to this latest item. It's a combined carrot and stick proposal targeted at both offshoring and onshoring of jobs. Okay, so Jen, let's begin with you. Can you just discuss with us the broad outlines of this Biden proposal? So it's currently called the Biden Offshoring Tax Penalty. That's according to the campaign documents that were released. And it says that the purpose of this proposal is aimed at those who offshore manufacturing and service jobs to foreign nations in order to sell goods or provide services back to the American market. So that's the official line. The actual tax proposal, it kind of hints at 28% corporate tax rate plus a 10% offshoring penalty surtax. And you may think, well, 28% plus 10%, is that 38%? No, they specify that this is a rate that will apply to profits of any production by a U.S. company overseas. So we know that it's limited to U.S. multinationals for sales back into the U.S. And it's a blended rate of 30.8%. So if you guys tuned in for the past discussions about the minimum tax and about the new rate, it's a higher rate than the 21% proposed minimum tax. And it's also a higher rate than the statutory corporate tax rate that's being proposed, 28%. So it has a little bit of an additional bite for what we would normally call as round tripping. Okay, so Jen, just so I'm clear, let's just take you know a slice of income that is currently in the current regime, subject to guilty, right? This is income outside the U.S. In the Biden regime would be subject to his foreign minimum tax at this 21% rate. I think what you said is if that income right, is, is related to, quote, round-tripping sales back into the U.S., we're moving it out of the 21% rate and into the 28 plus 2.8% to get to the full 30.8%. Is that right? Am I thinking about that right, that we would be moved out of that min-tax regime and into this even higher regime, the 30.8%? That's exactly right. At least that's what, you know, we can glean from that the two sentences that we have. It looks like definitely the guilty only applies to U.S. companies, and likewise, this penalty only applies to U.S. companies that are overseas, and it specifically states that 30.8% tax rate. But one wrinkle to this is that it doesn't just apply to sales back into the U.S. There's also a mention of it applying to call centers or services. So we don't really know how that will be structured, but something definitely to keep an eye on. I mean, that's something that can be done through a variety of legislative maneuvers. All right. So that's the sort of broad outlines of what Biden's talking about. So now let's come to the next question, Tom, for you. Uh, you just, you know, listening to what Jen described, what do you think Biden's actually getting at? Why is he proposing this? And maybe just sort of a related question. Is there something about our current system that they are suggesting arguably encourages offshoring? Well, that's certainly the case. Yeah, the major theme of the, the Biden campaign 
is going to be and is bringing back American jobs. And it's a theme they've been hitting hard in a meeting last week. Biden's chief economic advisor probably spent more time on this issue than anything else. And the reason is pretty obvious. It has this is an idea that has a lot of populist appeal in contested Rust Belt states uh, like Michigan and Wisconsin. And it's, it's also another route to attack the TCJA, which, as you suggest, John, is something Biden will want to do and, and claim that the DCJA and in, in reducing the rate of tax on foreign earnings creates an incentive to move jobs offshore. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, this, the, the reasons for it are, are political and clear. You know, how effective it's going to be, I think, is, you know, is another question. You know, offshoring American jobs is something that's been going on for decades and the principal reasons aren't tax. The principal reasons for moving the jobs offshore are the substantially lower labor costs and what looks, from a U.S. perspective, like lax regulation on working conditions and the environment. So, you know, whether all this makes a tremendous difference, you know, is anybody's guess, but certainly the rhetoric is there and we would expect it to continue. Thomas, as tax people, I, I just can't believe you said that out loud, that not every economic decision that one makes is related to you know, the tax cost. I mean, you know, could you please retract that statement? No, seriously, it's a fair point. Look, the argument you just made was the argument we had about the old system, the old worldwide system with deferral was kind of the same thing. And so, Jen, let me just come back to you then, just as one of the architects of the current system, right, the post-TCJA system, does this argument sound right to you or resonate with you that the current regime of the 21% corporate rate and the 10.5% guilty does encourage offshoring? I'm sure you guys thought about that to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the one thing that I will say is compared to the old regime, everyone pretty much agrees that compared to what we had pre-TCJA, the current system is far better. There are some rough edges, but in terms of just actual economic activity and encouraging U.S. economic activity, I mean, everyone agrees that that top corporate rate going down was significant and moving to a territorial system really significantly improved the U.S.'s comparative tax advantage compared to before, right, because we had the highest corporate tax rate. But, you know, this is something that was discussed in the years leading up to the TCJA. Back in 2011, then chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Camp, had a proposal that I helped draft that was called Option C. It was the pre-guilty-guilty. And it sounded actually a lot like Biden's current minimum tax plan. And it actually included this type of a round-tripping proposal where if you do have a company that has what's called round-tripping income, which is related to sales back into the United States, it would be subject to the full statutory rate. Now, one of the biggest pushbacks to that, I mean, and it was discussed over many, many years, 2011 through 2017, is that it would put U.S. companies at a substantially uncompetitive position with regard to their foreign competitors, right? Because their foreign competitors are not subject to a round-tripping surtax. So not only would their competitors have a lower tax rate at home on those earnings, but they also wouldn't be able to compete with respect to foreign targets, right? Because then, you know, there would be a disincentive for a U.S. company to acquire a foreign company, and all of that income, at least with respect to sales back into the U.S., could potentially be subject to this type of a surtax. 
So one of the themes that we've been hitting on throughout the discussion of the Biden tax plan is that, you know, his plan is derived from or at least inspired by things that came before. We've repeatedly pointed to the Obama administration budget proposals. So it's interesting in this one that, you know, you're pointing out that hey, round tripping, we've seen this before. And in this case, it came from, you know, the 2014 House Republican tax reform plan. So as you say, that particular proposal did kind of run into some opposition from the business community who didn't like it. Let me, let me just ask you this question then, Jen, and then Tom, I want to come back to you on a different one. Isn't part of the challenge here, it's so challenging to define what offshoring or round tripping really is, right? Like, how do we know exactly when that's been done or whether this is just other transactions where maybe I've got a foreign affiliate who happens to be selling into the U.S. and that activity was never in the U.S. to begin with, right? It's a definitional challenge, isn't it? Oh, it, it really is. And, you know, I can say that the original guilty, the guilty that existed just a week prior to the markup of the guilty with the, in the Senate Finance Committee included a round-tripping provision. And it was really hard to draw those lines. You have to carve out a lot of like what you just described, acquisitions. And then, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing about whether or not that's actually going to help and whether or not you're just drawing arbitrary lines around the rule that could cause a bigger problem than the problem that you're trying to solve in the first place. Okay, then Tom, Jen sort of hinted at this, right? Because, and, and you, you did too. I mean, there's certainly a surface appeal of this proposal, right? We are going to penalize those that take jobs out of the U.S. and we're going to reward those that bring jobs back. But these collateral consequences that are maybe underneath the surface, lurking underneath the surface, can we talk about what some of those are both good and bad. I mean, there might be good and bad. I mean, Jen, you handed it one. And Tom, does this make sense to you that, you know, you make it potentially harder for U.S. companies to do foreign acquisitions? Well, that's probably something that, you know, that's also part of Biden's plan will be anti-inversion, more anti-inversion rules, because, you know, there are clearly ways of getting around this tax to the extent that, you know, it's desirable to get around the tax. Contract manufacturing is one way to do it, and another way to do it is is inversions or you know being acquired by a foreign company. Either way, there are ways around it, and, and those are some of the the collateral consequences we might see to, to something like this. Uh, to the extent that tax becomes a a significant factor in it, and it may be a lot of record keeping for not very much revenue, and and in the end, not very much incentive especially as compared to his, you know, this 10% credit for investment in the U.S., uh, bringing back the old investment tax credit. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the inversion thing because we briefly touched upon this when we were talking about the Biden proposal on the foreign minimum tax. You know, look, since it, inversions were obviously a very, very hot issue pre-TCJA, have mostly dropped off the radar because I don't think we've really had any since then. It's interesting that Biden is bringing this issue back into his plan. And I guess it's because, and Jen, maybe thoughts on this is by what he's doing, the combination of the increased minimum tax with the higher rate, along with this potential offshoring penalty that I guess the idea is that there could be more pressure on that. So they need to come back to that and sort of tighten up those rules. Is that one of the collateral consequences that, you know, you were thinking about in terms of when you were working on the guilty round tripping provision? Definitely. And I think that by virtue of the fact that there is a specific reference to inversions, I think it's kind of admitting that increasing the rates, increasing a minimum tax rate, imposing an offshoring, a round tripping penalty is going to put a lot of pressure on U.S. companies to invert. And because of that, it has to be paired with anti-inversion provisions and, you know, some sort of new mechanism, right? Because I don't know that, you know, our existing mechanisms 
can be made much tighter than they already are. They're already pretty tight rules. So I think that part of that is kind of admitting, you know, these rates are going to go and they're going to increase according to this plan. And because of that, you know, it's going to give rise to this issue that we're going to have to have a proposal to tackle, which is going to be the inversions issue. Well, thank you for that. Look, in our forever failing endeavor to keep these episodes to the 15-minute mark, let's just call it a, a day here. I think that was a really good discussion of some of the outlines and contours of what candidate Biden is talking about on this offshoring, onshoring. But if I could, let me just wrap it up with this, because we spent a lot of today on the stick side of the Biden proposal here, you know, not so much on the carrot. And we did that because, frankly, that's what most people are asking about. But in fairness, there is a flip side of this coin, and that's what he's talking about, this 10% tax credit for investing in onshoring, which includes revitalizing, retooling, expanding existing facilities. Now, look, it may be hard to believe this, but once upon a time, I was a real tax lawyer giving real tax advice to clients. And most of my work then was around these types of incentives. And I can tell you, in doing that work, I can point to quite a few historical antecedents to Biden's onshoring idea. As Tom mentioned, this looks most like an investment tax credit where you get a credit based upon the amount of your qualifying expenditures made by the taxpayer. And that kind of idea has been around. And recently, I think the most recent and most apparent example of that is the Section 48 Capital C Advanced Manufacturing Credit. But the DNA of the original investment tax credit going back many decades is evident here. And there are just scads of case law and scads of regulatory guidance governing what is and what is not an eligible investment. And how soon we forget Good old Section 199, the domestic manufacturing deduction, was largely targeted at the same type of activity back when it was created in 2004. So if you see this proposal and you say, oh, no, not another entirely new program that Congress will need to create from nothing and where Treasury will need to conjure guidance, well, that's not totally fair. There is definitely a historical and a reasonably well-understood framework to work from. But having said that, the precedents I mentioned, 48 capital C, the general investment tax credit, and Section 199 have one other important thing in common. None of them are still with us. Congress has either repealed each or, in the case of 48 cap C, allowed it to die. And I'll leave you then with this question. Does that mean that Congress concluded these ideas were bad policy and unworkable, or is it because Congress decided that those incentives successfully accomplished the goals for which they were originally created? I'll leave you to ponder that until next week when we meet again. As always, thank you for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, and I hope to see you soon.